Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of the series, Our Prayer. From the value and purpose of life to racial reconciliation, this series serves as a compass to our lives to reorient our hearts and minds around scripture, prayer, and the heart of God. John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you. I want you to take it out and use it unless you're on your phone. You can take your phone out to turn, turn in the Bible if that's what you do. All right. John chapter 4 is where we're going to start. We're actually going to be in a couple different texts today. Last week, we started a series called Our Prayer, and we do this series every January. Every January, we take the entire month, the very first month of the year, to refocus, to reorient our minds around the heart of God. It is so easy to get distracted. Anybody easily distractible? Yeah, easily distractible. And if we're not careful, long seasons of constant distraction will woo you away from the heart of God. You'll grow cold and you'll just be like, oh, where did God go when you were the one that walked away? God has never left you, but you may have numbed your heart to him by distraction. We see it all through scripture, Um, but last week we started this series by talking about prayer, and we've already seen prayers answered. Praise God. We've already seen prayers answered because God responds to our prayers, and um, we just really focused on the fact that prayer should be important to the Christian. One of the things we said last week was that you can't be a good Christian and not pray. Prayer was Jesus' default all throughout his ministry. Win or lose, up or down, bad or good, painful or healthy. His response to all seasons of life was to pray, to talk to the Father. And so we talked about how we should do that. In fact, we, (laughs) you don't know this, last week I called an audible from the pulpit, just under the leading of the Holy Spirit, and kind of talked myself into a lot of work the last week. Last week, uh, on Sunday, I just felt led that we should do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I said we would have a fasting and prayer guide for you this week. I did not have a prayer and fasting guide when I said that. Um, And I didn't know we were going to do 21 days of prayer and fasting before I said it either. But now, in the back, and Woody's going to tell you this to remind you, uh, right after service, there is a prayer and fasting guide that will start tomorrow. And we're going to take 21 days the rest of this month. We're going to pray and we're going to fast I don't have time to preach a sermon on fasting, so what I did, there is a fasting guide where you can go through and and decide what type of fast you're going to do. Um, There's food fasts, there's certain food fasts, there's all foods, there's even in Daniel 6.18, you can see where uh, we fast from distractions. So I don't know what that is for you. 
get a packet. It will be online in an ebook form later today. So you can download it online as well. And man, I just encourage you to pray and fast with us. We want to see God do things that we have never seen before. And I'm, I promise I'm going to preach the sermon. But there's a story in the New Testament that I don't have the time to preach the whole thing. But basically, Jesus sent his disciples out to go do miracles. Okay? He's also sent you out. But we'll cover that in a minute. He sent all of us. He sent his disciples out to do miracles. Well, the disciples came upon a situation where they prayed for this little girl and nothing happened. Now, they had done miracles in the past. They had done all types of things. They had already done the things they were praying for. God had worked through them to perform miracles. Now, they got to this one situation. It didn't work the same way it had been. So they went back to Jesus. Jesus came, healed this child. And the disciples get confused. They say, why, could, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus said this, these things come by prayer and fasting. There are things that God is calling us to that require us to pray and fast. You know, fasting isn't optional for the Christian. He calls us to it. We need to be praying and fasting. We live in a culture that it used to be bigger. It used to be bigger in Christian life. Um, I remember growing up, and this is why we're doing it as a church for 21 days. Growing up, uh, it was not just something we did seasonally. It was something that was a regular part of our lives. Uh, we would fast for seven, ten days at a time. Um, and I want us to go there. Will you go there with us? I really want you to. Um, I, I can only imagine what God will work through it. Guides are in the back. You can also download them on, online later. Download them online. Um, and all our staff and leaders, we're going to be having them do a little devotional online. So Facebook, YouTube, tune in uh, starting tomorrow night. And uh, we're going to do a devotional each day of the 21 days. Everybody said amen. Okay. Last week, we centered our hearts around God's heart for us to pray. And today, we're talking about vision. Everybody say vision. Anybody have great vision? Like you don't need glass? Okay, great vision. This is participation. A lot of y'all looking at me can't even see me standing here, so. <laughs> My, <laughs> hey, look, what do you... Uh, Y'all don't see this behind the scenes stuff. Woody's doing, he's closing our service here shortly. And at the end, we always do next steps. So what's your next step? And so I had Ian print out like a, a bullet point type thing for, for Woody, elder of elders, Woody Jones. And uh, as he's typing it, I yell from my office, hey, Ian, make it as large as you can because he's blind as a bat. Can't see. Vision is important. Vision is important. And what scripture would tell us is that without vision, the people perish. 
You ever been in, um, some of you may have been in churches like this before, where there just seems to be an aimlessness, like there's no vision, there's no focus. And so the church plateaus and, and many times even declines because there's no vision. And so I want to talk about the vision of Transformation Church today. It has not changed, but it is honed in over the years, and I want to talk about three things that define life here for us. If this is your first time here, this will help you get acquainted with what goes on here and what, what our, our passions are, and you'll see these, you should see these at other churches. And the very first thing is encounter. Everybody say encounter. Uh, the second is equip. Say equip. Equip. And number three is engage. You like, they all start with E. It took me a long time. That wasn't as funny as I thought it was going to be. So let's start with encounter. All encounter, equip, engage. It used to be, what did it used to be? Reach, connect, share. It used that when we relaunched the church, that's what it was. We've reshaped it, retooled it based on feedback we've gotten from our elders and from our staff into these three words. But encounter has always been one. We believe that when people encounter Jesus, things change. I heard it. See, it's already in the rhetoric. I want you guys to be able to repeat it. When you encounter Jesus, things change. And so I want to look at scripture here about this encounter, um, John chapter four. And I want to look at a specific verse. So let me, let me speed you up. Jesus is going from one place to another, okay? Um, at the beginning of chapter four, it says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it, in fact, was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So he's on his way from Judea to Galilee, and what, what I can tell you is, is there is a particular path for Jewish people to go from Judea to Galilee, and it is a long one. Have you ever gone around your elbow to get to your fingers? Yeah. Men, you've done it. Okay, don't. You didn't ask for directions. You ended up in Minnesota. I get it. Been there. There is always a straight path, okay? There's a straighter path. For Jewish folks, you wouldn't take the straight path from Judea to Galilee. You know why? It would take you through Samaria, And Jewish people didn't go to Samaria. You know why? And this will mean something here in a minute. Because it was considered a wasteland of half-breed Jews. So Samaria was full of Jewish folks that had intermarried with locals. With pagans. And so Jewish people, instead of taking the fast route to get to Galilee, they would go around Samaria to get there. Samaria was not a place that godly people went. 
This matters because Jesus took his disciples straight through Samaria. Can you imagine? Can you? I've been in places before where I'm headed somewhere, but I will like go around a certain area of town, depending on what time of day it is, uh, just because it's dangerous. You may not have been around those parts of town, uh, but there are parts of town that are more dangerous than others, depending on the time of day. And I have been in situations where a friend didn't know where he was going. I was like, hey, you've wandered into a spot. We don't need to be here. This is a dangerous spot. I can imagine the disciples felt this way. Why are we going through here? We shouldn't be going through here. Well, Jesus goes through here, and to make a long story short, they stop to take a break in Samaria. And travel just a little bit past it, you know, just one more exit down. No, they stopped in Samaria, sat down by a well, and he sent his disciples into town. And while his disciples were in town, a woman approaches him, a Samaritan woman. And just to put it plainly, he read her mail. He read her mail. I mean, he called her out for all the husbands she had and even the adulterous one she was living with then. And she she had come to the well predominantly during the middle of the day because she didn't want to be around all the other women in town because of what they would say about her. So she would come by herself in the heat of the day to carry water back And she found Jesus, the living water. And he told her, I can can just imagine it. I can imagine Jesus talking to this rejected, downtrodden woman whose life had taken turns she never anticipated. And lifting her head and gave her water that would never run dry. In verse 39, she has gone back to town. So Jesus, she comes to know Jesus. She hears the gospel. I've come to give you life, this living water. And so she goes back to town and she tells everybody about it. Read here in 39 with me, John chapter 4, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony that he had told me everything I ever did. So the very first thing she did when she got back to town was tell everyone what happened. And they believed because she said it. And then in verse 40, so when the Samaritans came to him, so a crowd left town to come to Jesus, they urged him to stay and he stayed two more days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Pay attention to this. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. It went from, I know about Jesus because someone has been telling me about Jesus to I have now encountered Jesus for myself and I don't have to rely on what I've been taught because I know him. I've heard it for myself, and I think many of us, this should define encounters here at this church. 
Because this woman's life turned 180 degrees when she encountered Jesus. People should come here and leave different. People should come here as they are, loved where they're at, and leave with a hope and a new passion and vigor that they never have experienced. That should define encounters here. They shouldn't find judgment. They shouldn't find glaring eyes. They should find a living water. This should define encounters at Transformation Church. This is part of our vision that people would come here and whether it's in the parking lot when they get waved and smiled at for the first time in weeks or if they're watching online and they hear the good news of the gospel in their heart is brought alive in Christ. No matter what the encounter is, if it's in the cafe or the foyer or if it's in small group or in a serve team, people should be encountering Jesus here. And their lives should be different. And a byproduct of that is this. People will go from a head knowledge. Oh, I know of Jesus. To I've seen him. I've, saw, I've seen him work. And I've heard his words. And they've changed me. That's what happened here. Number one, encounter. Number two, equip. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter four. An encounter should lead to equipping. I've never seen anyone encounter the presence of God and not come to know him. Now, that's different. If you sit under one of these vents during the summer and you catch like a cold chill, I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the goosebumps. I'm talking about encountering Jesus in such a way that now he is the Lord of your life and you're no longer the Lord of your life. Because you know you can come to church and have some of the feels and never actually know him. The Bible talks about it. Paul told Timothy, hey, there are going to be people that leave out from amongst your midst, but don't worry. They were never of us. They went out from among us because they were never of us. You can go and be a churchgoer, experience and even feel the presence of God and remain unchanged. I'm not talking about that. I'm, in, I'm talking about encountering Jesus. And all of a sudden, your desires are to obey him. A byproduct of encountering Jesus is we should be equipping. So we should be encountering Jesus, then we should be equipping. Read with me Ephesians chapter four. I'm just gonna start in verse one and, and read about uh, 16 chapters. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing one another in love. Make every effort to keep unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let me stop and give God a praise for just two seconds because God is in all of it. Don't just run by this verse. One God, he is the Father of all, who is over all, through all and in all. 
For those who think that God has somehow lost the election or that God has somehow lost control of the country or that God has somehow just backed away and that he's lost his sovereignty. He's not. He's still good and he's still God. Oh, I got to calm down. He's in all, through all, over all. He is still king. I get excited. I get excited about that. I hope it excites you. Verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ appointed it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Let's skip down here a little bit. Um, Let's go to 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers, watch this, verse 12, to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, verse 14, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Not only should people encounter Jesus here and leave different, and this isn't, I'm not just talking salvifically or soteriology-wise, like getting saved. I'm, I'm just talking about even people who have served him for 50 years, you should come here and leave different. You have not arrived. You should, you should have, the word of God should stir so within you that your affections leave here heightened for the Lord. But we should also be about the work of equipping you and I for the work of the the Lord ahead of us. One, I think it's important to point out here that there is a work of service for each of us. Everyone in this room, there is a work of service for you. But the job of the church is to equip his people for the works of service. Now, there is a byproduct of this. There's, there's two byproducts here. One, you should be more mature. The equipping is to bifold, very first, to equip, to mature your walk in Christ. It says right here. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. I remember as a young Christian, a couple significant things. One, life just whipped me around with it. My faith was not anchored. My faith drifted with my own emotions and my own experiences. 
And the other thing that I noticed is that as I was growing in Christ, I found myself chasing after the newest fads of Christian teaching. Oh, well, this seems cool or this, this feels better to me. Like it wasn't a drawing towards the word of God. It was a drawing towards what made me feel better. The more equipping we do here in our small groups, in Sunday school, right here in this service, on serve teams, at ministry events, everything that we do here, we should be equipping to mature in us a love for the Lord that anchors us so that we're not tossed around. There should be, and this is very interesting. This is very interesting. I have friends, pastor friends even, who... Uh, throughout, and I hope it's okay to talk about this, but maybe it's not. My elder will tell me here in a minute. I've seen so many Christians over the last two weeks as people have stormed the Capitol, as elections have been won and lost by people we support or don't support or whatever. And what I have found is that what we worship will reveal itself. <laughs> what we worship will reveal itself. And we're all created to worship. God created us to worship. And you are worshiping something. And what I've found is that there are Christians and pastors and, and, and people all across the landscape of America that were just grieving. and Their just emotions were just dro- like a bomb dropped. And all of a sudden they were swayed. Instead of anchored in the the goodness of Jesus. Oh, and it was painful to watch. And I've got to be honest with you, I've been guilty of this. Worshiping a political construct, man-made things. You, You realize this is what happened when Moses went up on the mountain to get the law right, the Ten Commandments, you know what happened? They began to make things up to worship. They, want, they needed something to worship, and when Moses, this is why equipping and Christian community is so important, because if you drift off out of here, you will begin creating and worshiping your own gods. It's not just something that they, the Israelites did in Exodus. It's something you do today. Yeah. We need to be equipping so that we mature, so that we're not tossed back and forth, blown here and there at every wind of teaching and the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So not only will you mature as we equip, this should be a a staple. This should be in the DNA of our church is that you encounter Jesus and then you're equipped. And so we have growing Christians. We don't have stagnant Christians here. Or we shouldn't. The second byproduct of of equipping is that we can do the work that God has called us to. Which brings me to my last Encounter, equip, engage. Go with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. 
So Jesus is getting ready to ascend. He's taken up into heaven. That's what we see right here at the beginning of Acts. He's died on the cross. He's rose again, and he's giving some final teaching here to final instruction to his disciples. And I want to focus right here at seven and eight. Well, let's start in six. Then they gathered around him, his disciples gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, what they're asking here is not spiritual, it's physical. They anticipate, so they've watched Jesus' ministry, okay? They've watched him do miracles. He's proven that he's God. They've recognized him as God. They've seen him die on a cross and conquer death and rise from the grave. Now, all throughout Scripture, when the Jewish people were reading the prophecies, what they always believed was that someone was going to physically come, conquer the existing reigning governments, conquer them all, and establish a new kingdom under God, okay? Which is coming, might I add. I don't have to, time to get into the pre-trib, post-trib, Ah, millennialists, all that kind of debates, but I can tell you this. There is a coming reign of Jesus Christ where every government, every leader, every tongue shall confess that he's Lord. There's a time coming. So when they ask this question, they're not asking... Are you setting up your spiritual kingdom? They're asking, okay, we've seen, we've seen everything. Is now the time when you conquer all the governments? They're still thinking physical. After all they've seen, they're still thinking that this is what's going to happen. And this is what Jesus said in verse seven. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power. Somebody say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, pay attention, please, and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The progress of the spread of the gospel message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, um, first of all, is Luke. The Luke is the author of Acts. This is a Luke laying out a um, kind of timeline by which he goes through the book of Acts. Chapters 1 through 7 uh, cover Jerusalem's ministry and then uh, 8 through 12 speak of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And then 13 through the end in 28... It covers the mission through the end of the earth, to the ends of the earth. But there's also Jesus saying something very specific to them. Think about when they heard each of these names. Jerusalem was where Jesus was executed by the word of an angry mob. Judea rejected his ministry. They rejected him. Samaria, we've already talked about. 
It's an impure place. And then the uttermost parts of the earth, the Gentiles. So if you weren't Jewish, you were Gentile. Gentiles were seen by some Jews of that day as nothing better than fuel for the fires of hell. God wanted them to reach everyone. People should come to Transformation Church and encounter Jesus, be equipped, maturing, and for the work that God has for each one of us. But then we should be engaged in the ministry to which he has called us, the mission to which he's called us. In Jerusalem, so right here around town, in Judea, even where we have been rejected, and even in Samaria, the places we don't want to go, the people we don't want to witness to. You know who I'm talking about. You won't, you won't say it out loud. You're way too righteous to say it in church, and I get it. But there are people, <laughs> do I say it? I'm going to say it. There are people that you would never say, oh, I won't tell them about the gospel of Christ, but you care less if they make it through the pearly gates. You know who I'm talking about. People you don't like, people you despise, people have hurt you. Man, I've even seen it on social media and news reports. I've even heard pastors say, hey, if you're a Democrat, you're not welcome in this church. Yeah. I've heard pastors say it out of their mouth. The Lord can't save a Democrat. I've heard that. And I don't try and get political from the pulpit, but let me tell you something. I don't care where you agree or disagree politically. The call of God, the kingdom of God, is above and, and over all of it. It trumps. Oh. <laughs> you like how I didn't know that was coming, but I said uh, it trumps everything else. Can I, be, can I just be honest with you? I've been so discouraged. I've been so discouraged. And the band can come. We're going to close. Then we're going to eat pizza. Some of us will go back about our week. Forget everything I just said. You know, I spend about 20, 30 hours on every sermon. You know that? Um, now that's over about six months. And out of all that work you put to a sermon, you know how much people remember? 10%. You're only gonna come out of here today, and so I'm okay with it, okay? You don't have to remember everything I preach. But if you don't remember anything else, you shouldn't be depending on my preaching anyway. It's right here. It's where this pastor leans gives me life, this, this Bible, 
It encourages me. It convicts me. It sends me to my knees. And I've been discouraged because I have seen so many people leaning on everything but this right here. They've leaned on their education. They've leaned on their charisma. They've leaned on their talents. They've leaned on their political views. They've leaned on political figures. They've leaned in every way but to the cross. In every way but to his word. And I must tell you today as your pastor, who look, I love you. All else that you lean on will fail. What's that song? On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. You remember that song? All other ground is sinking sand. Lest you think I'm haughty and self-righteous. I've sunk in the sand and Jesus has had to come dig me out with his grace and his hope despite my failings. And I can tell you today, I've encountered Jesus. I've been equipped just being around you here. And I've never been more passionate about engaging in the mission of God than I have the last six months to a year. I have seen God working through you in ways I didn't even know was possible. I've seen God do things because of your faithfulness in obeying the call to see people from far and wide come to know his love. That is the vision of our church, to encounter him, to be equipped for the ministry and maturing, and to engage in the mission. Say it with me, encounter, equip, engage. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA, located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.